0: so funny, every time I tell people from America, I'm from Canada, especially on stage, immediately, eh? How's it going, airy. You want a war? Or do you want to just give
1: me the a There's a new NBA champion, and it's a team from Toronto, Canada. Oh! This is the Prosciutto Masala Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Prosciutto Masala. I'm a good uh, friend and a special guest uh, with us here today. I'm really excited. Uh, my buddy uh, and fellow business owner, Jacques Bruins. Jacques, uh, thanks for being on the episode, buddy. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. So, yeah, tell everybody a little bit about, I guess, you, uh, your background, I guess, um, first in terms of like, kind of like your upbringing. I know you have a cool background. You're kind of part South African. I know you got a little bit of Italian in you. So Tell people maybe a little bit about like you, your upbringing and and yeah, kind of uh, how you ended up here. I guess I know you were born in, in GTA, but uh, I know you're, you're probably your pops immigrated uh, over like a, a lot of our parents and grandparents did, right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, my parents came from South Africa to leave uh, apartheid when it was in full swing in the 70s um yeah south africa is like a melting pot of culture um you know my background on the one side goes up to italian the other side you know filipino uh, austrian and uh, i believe russian and a little bit of everything anyways my parents came here to as i was saying to avoid the bullshit of um, they didn't want to raise me in in the apartheid system and Mm -hmm. i'm glad they did and so they Mm -hmm. came here uh, And then my family uh, that all immigrated here, they were mostly trades people. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I used to hang out with uh, my uncles and my dad and whatnot. And uh, I grew up around a lot of carpentry and a lot of mechanics. And then, uh, But I decided to pursue a career. I've always had an interest in art. And then I pursued a career, eventually that turned into computer animation. I did that for about 20-something years and then uh, realized the uh, white-collar setting isn't for me. And mm-hmm. then um, I had a kid and moved out to uh, – I, I moved out from Oakville area to Bowmanville to be close to her. And then uh, kind of hit some hardship and started installing awnings on the side to make just to keep my sanity. Um, I was making like less than – 10 bucks. I was making about 10.75 about seven years ago, which was at the time the minimum wage was 13, and I was actually making less for it. And uh, I was in between jobs and animation, and the drought got a little long. And then I kind of told my current owner, the current business owner at that time, um, my good friend of mine named Bet, at Some like it hot, and um, I told her I asked her if I could get more money and work full time. And she declined that. And then so I told her I had to go look for other awning work. And I was told good luck in that. And then um, within a year, I had an established business with uh, doing over 100 to 150 jobs a year. It was quite uh, amazing. Um, The first season I did it, um, I went from broke to making, you know, 30 grand in three months. And then I realized that I was onto something. At the time Mm -hmm. I was also uh, trying to invent a smart headboard and bring it to the market. And I was trying to, that was my first priority, but the money from awnings was just in my face and uh, my trade skills from my use came into play. And um, yeah, I just decided that uh, I started installing for other dealers and I knew eventually I want to sell it. But my game plan was to, uh, learn as much as I can from installations and watching other dealers and how they make their mistakes. And uh, did that for a couple of years. And yeah, I've seen a lot of mistakes and then a lot of screw ups are repeated sometimes with different dealers. Definitely, uh, especially blind people that come into the awning industry thinking yeah. that they're going to capitalize on it. Good for them. It's just the only problem is, is it it'd be better for an awning person to go into the blind than the other way around because yeah, um, there's just more uh, an installation. An awning installation is more of an exterior renovation. A blind is more of cosmetic installation inside. Uh-huh. So um, anyways, yeah. So um, I just kept focusing on becoming a better installer and I had like, I had a lot of really good stuff. Uh, trade good trade people to fall back on when I first started. Um, I worked with a guy who passed away, who was installing awnings for about 20 years. And uh, so what I did was uh, I worked for him for a summer. And um, and then when I realized it was for me, I decided to find my own work. And I had him initially, I hired him just to come to my job site, uh, mostly to deliver awnings, because at the beginning I was hauling awnings with the Pontiac Vibe. And, uh, I used to smash a few windshields and then <laughs> eventually what I did was I had him, the game plan was to have him on site so that, um, that's like the answer in the back of the book. I, I always did what I could to figure things out on my own. And then if I ever had any doubt, I, I would ask him and he would be more like a supervising role. And then once I realized that he, all my, the way I was solving it is the way he solved it. I let him go. Um, uh-huh. and then, um, yeah, I just uh, I started pounding the pavement um, with black and white flyers, and um, you know because I was really broke, and then uh, that led in and then put free ads on Kijiji, and then um, I was doing I was my my landlady at the time, which was from some like it hot. I, I was also doing her trade shows, and what would happen was wherever I could, I'd network, and uh, at a trade show, I met. Uh, somebody at Lifestyle Home Products and then I became one of their awning installers and then um, when I was pounding the pavement on Kijiji that led into installing awnings for Costco and now I'm one of their main installers I have been for a couple of years Um, and then another one was Canadian Shade where I was uh, doing service calls for I was I was putting ads on Kijiji getting a few jobs and then I would go to the manufacturer I'd put my black and white flyers at the front desk. And that connected yeah. me with uh, Chris at Canadian Shade. And then um, I just, my name got named, my name was given out by the manufacturer for other dealers. And, you know, I've seen a, I had a couple of dealers come and go, but um, I've always I had a decent knack at finding a B2B business. Yeah. Um, One thing I
1: respect about you, buddy, and uh, I think that's why we get along so well is you just, you find a way, man, to make it work. You hustle and uh you know you taught me a lot about uh awnings and you you kind of you and chris both kind of got me into the awning world but uh you know i always joke with you you're kind of like my obi-wan and i'm kind of like the the, the luke skywalker you kind of taught me a lot about uh awnings and and i have you to thanks for a lot of uh, the skills i have today so um i, I appreciate it and i respect your hustle
0: uh, i was i've always i've seen a lot of people come and shadow me um you were one of the first to come and shadow me, but actually seemed to have the right attitude. Um, you just, you know, as, as we know, when you when you, when you first came work for me, um, you you were my helper. You followed shadow even with your own business, and then we we worked. It didn't take very long, and I you know compensated you accordingly to your skill set. And I saw within I think it was almost took you like one two years. You were on your own. And mm-hmm. then uh, we were sharing, we were working out the budget for the whole install. So a lot of that is on you. You figured it out. So, um, but I've always admired your tenacity. You, you never give up either. So, um, yeah, no, I just, uh, now I'm at the stage where I'm bringing my um, computer graphic skills into, uh, into play. Um, I'm, I really connect, I don't know why, with the TikTok platform yeah um and so i'm gearing up my uh my page my tiktok page and uh I'm yeah, gonna you going to be... send me your
1: links after i'll put your links in the uh the show notes so everybody can check out your tiktok and the website and all that kind of stuff
0: yeah and then the other yeah. thing is is that um i don't know why but um somewhere along the lines um i start driving by construction sites and then my interest from awnings, I wanted to know more about what I was installing into. And then um, one winter, I went to work on a, on a framing crew and uh, basically, you know, got slaughtered on site in the sense of uh, the crew I was working for, was, you know, they weren't the type of crew to be working for. They didn't have any patience. And yeah. um, and I came on to the site. To, you know, there's one thing about construction, it's it cutthroat um and you need to be you need to know your game and to a degree I understand going to a job site um anyways I went to a job site working for people saying hey I didn't understand uh, uh housing but I have my business and yeah. it was just not a very it was bullshit yeah. um it was just uh the screaming and the yelling and I didn't care much for it and then so my next plan was uh eventually I hired a framer and I had the framer work for me, and we had the deal that during the summer we were going to do my jobs, and then uh, in the winter we were going to do his jobs. And then quickly I found out that the way to go for hiring helpers is trade people. Uh, they're easier to trade, especially framers. They're just yeah. super easy to train. Um, and um, then, but what happened with that guy is when we did his job, kind of screwed me over uh, over a job. We 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 built a carport. Um, and it was very great experience. Good guy, good teacher, just bad business person. And uh, I learned there from that also that um, in traditional construction trades, there's still people who know the skill, but they don't, they lack the business savvy. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's where I got a bit of strength because um, my, both my parents were entrepreneurs. So, and then plus my landlady who didn't want to, let me work for more money. She actually became a really good mentor. Um, and then I met, you know, my associates like you and Chris, and it doesn't hurt to, uh, to be able to, you know, compare notes. But um, I'd say there's a lot of, I get to see a lot of different dealers in the way they run their businesses. But um, I really have a lot of respect for Chris at Canadian Shade and my landlady, Bet Hennessy. Mm-hmm. Um, they both, they're, they're both, um, they're both like, um, I say masters in their own, right. beth has been yeah, around. Yeah. She's a very old school lady. She's been around for 20 something years. And this, she knows, she's been around, seen a lot where Chris is a newbie, but he's got like a lot of energy and yeah. he's a sales force. He's, he's, a, he's quite something in that department. Yeah, um, yeah. and so it's always interesting to see new school versus old school. Yeah. Um, and how I'm modeling mine and my model would be more off of, of a bet because I'm more that's the artist in me I don't I, I, I'm not doing it for money I'm doing it for time um, I I just would rather do uh, my installs that you know my jobs make enough money and and do it in a quality way that I have more time off in a week than just kind of you know, bang 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 bang. i don't know i just it's just me and so anyways one of this one last thing is is that as i was saying after i left that framing job after i let go of that framing guy my interest for construction kept growing and then last uh fall i just randomly decided to go back to school for construction at durham college uh doing Mm. construction technician which is pretty close to Red seal There's a, the amount of stuff we're learning is insane, and uh, re- I'm literally learning how to build a house and how to cost it out uh-huh. and and that's just and I just found out at uh, the other day that I'm on the honor roll, and not that it means anything to me in a sense it's nice to see my hard work come into play, but uh, it's interesting to go from focusing on making money to focusing on getting good grades. Um and the only reason I'm focusing on getting good grades is because I wanted to save me money when I'm on the job site.
1: Oh absolutely and you're you're learning a lot like I mean over the years I've, I've tried to always surround myself with different people that have different skill sets and you learn you pick up things but I think even from the conversations we have like offline it's like you're learning a lot about building and I think this is going to transfer obviously very well to like awnings but also too if you want to get into home building or renovations I think it's just great general knowledge to to essentially have and I think the sad thing is, is that a lot of young people don't think about going into the trades and they think, oh, like, you know, I'm not going to make money in this and it's blue collar. But like, if I was to go back man, and do university all over again, I wouldn't go to school for advertising. I think like it, it did teach me some and OK, I got a little bit of sales experience. And I think that helped me now, like running my business. But I think if people knew, like, for example, about awnings and stuff and about different industries that you can make just as much if not more money than a lawyer uh, i think people would consider going to trades more and not look at as down on it but i think that's slowly changing because um as more and more people are going to school for these fancy careers doctors lawyers there's going to be more and more people that don't know how to use tools and work with their hands and you're going to be i think more and more uh demand of them so um, i think it's yeah it's a good thing you're you're doing this
0: Uh you know the the thing is you you had a good point um okay so I went to school for animation and then computer. I've always had an interest in computers, even, like, back in the 90s. Yeah. And I have literally watched the Evolution uh, Pioneer, and I was part of it. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, I was taught to, I was encouraged. Um, I got a really strong single mom that raised me to follow what I love and pursue it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I thought it was, Yeah, still, I still have decent skills. Uh, art skills it's just that you know you know the problem is and i think i've i, I, I realized this with listening to robert kiyosaki um it's that when you follow what you love your love becomes a job and there's like it's, it's, it's there's, nobody tells you about this it's you know it's nice that it's nice to be go to work and 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 you know lose yourself in it and then get paid for it but work should be work. Work shouldn't be when I was in animation, they'd made ridiculous deadlines. You go home, you're thinking about it, you're stressing over it on the weekend. Yeah. When I go do uh, a job, it's an installation. I do it. You know, you do it. You you, you do you, you do your best to take your pride in it. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's just cut and dry. And yeah. there's. When you're making money in life, sometimes it should be like that. Now, the only thing I don't like when I was younger, the reason also I avoided trades was a lot of it was the mentality of uh, laborers because I call it there's like I call it artificial intelligence. People have this intelligence that um, or think they have intelligence because. Um, they might not be educated, but you know they, they don't go to school, they drop out of school, they become alcoholics, and then they, they have no other thing to do but to fall into a laborer type of position.
1: And yeah. then they
0: become really good at it. Um, uh-huh. and, and then they think that they're smarter than people that go to school. Well, yes and no. They may be smart in the sense that they know their trades, but usually their social skills suck. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to run businesses. They eat, scream and yell. And it's like there's a lot of abuse that goes on a construction site that's accepted. And that's changing with more people going back to school for trades. And yeah. in all my honest opinion, that we need to fade out all the uneducated people that, you know, the, that have this artificial intelligence um, because it's just... It, a lot of this behavior that they do in the job site, it's not accepted in, in, in a job office. For and, sure. you yeah. know, I'm, you know, even when I go, I'm going to the school and even we have a shop, and it's like, we're like a big shop and we're actually building a residential home or framing. It's so big. You can even one corner of it. We're framing a house and we have like these classes and, you know, you have the shop teacher screaming and yelling at you like you're in the, uh, in the job force. Like that shit's got to stop. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I find that there's no excuse for that because, yeah. you know, I, when you're, I run a business and I'm running a business and I'm running, Running different crews sometimes, and I don't let it get to me. And yeah. I also find that it's a small thing. I know we work together, and nothing pleases me more than when I work with people and you know all different levels of experience. But there's a lot of tools they don't teach you on how to communicate. Like please and thank you goes a hell of a long way. You know, like even if you you always find a way to say please and thank you and have patience with people. Yeah, I
1: think so. I just find, Go ahead. sorry, I
0: I was just going to say, I find like, you know, when all of a sudden, like say when I'm working with you and then all of a sudden you're saying please and thank you to me and showing me the equal level of respect, it just makes the job site much more enjoyable. And yes, there's going to be times where people fuck up. You know, I, that's, I don't, everybody's got to learn one way. And when somebody fucks up, you you have, you have to decide, well, I can lose my shit on this person or I can say, well, you know, we all make mistakes and just remember this mistakes. And then, you know, after the third mistake, the next time you're coming to my job site, you're, you're going to fix it for free. Right. Or I try to work with it. I don't, I'm not a greedy asshole,
1: but sometimes
0: I try to make people, I want people to learn. Right. Yeah, I, and... I think
1: you're absolutely right. I think there's some things like I, I found similar to like being a leader. And when you're like and, and for me, I relate what you're saying to the coaches I had growing up uh, that were good basketball coaches and bad basketball coaches. And I found the the bad coaches were always like you screwed up. You missed the layup. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? What the hell? Blah, blah. And it's like, you're not trying to miss a shot. You know what I mean? You're doing the best you can. If it's something where it's like you're making the same mistake over and over, okay, you take the person aside. But I found I always played the best when coach was supportive. But then if he didn't like something I did, he took me aside after the game in private and said, hey, listen, try to do this different or try to do this different. I think the same is with like a job site where unfortunately there's a lot of like old school, you know, boomer mentality where it's like, oh, you got to embarrass the guy or you got to put him down. And it's like, Listen, there's a time to get mad, there's a time to get angry. But I think most of the time I, I, I adopt the the thought that um, you get more bees with honey and when you're respectful and polite to people, um, you get more out of people. And right? I think me and you both kind of run our job sites that way. And unfortunately, a lot of old school guys don't. They just think, oh, like you got to kick them in the ass. And yes, there's a time to be kicked in the butt um, and there's a time to have a like a, a, a stern discussion. But I think if you constantly maintain that thing of respect and I, I agree with you, I think that needs to happen a bit more in the trades because a lot of job sites, people are just like putting their their junior guys down or putting their laborers down and you're, you're not going to get the best and most loyal workers if you, if you continue to do that. Right.
0: Uh, I heard there's two sayings and one I got from my uncle, uh, who's also a great tradesperson, and one and runs a business and another one I made up because I used to fight a lot. Um, when I was a kid, I was kind of stupid, but one, the other one, the first one for my uncle was cool heads prevail. And then the yeah. other one I learned is, is, you know, when you lose it, you lost it. Um, yeah. you know, there are ways to deal with your anger. Sometimes we're human and we're going to, we're, we're going to explode. Um, and that's okay. As long as you learn how to manage the aftermath, but, you know, they always keep talking about how, how hard it is to find labor. It's not really hard if you pay people well and you treat them right. You know, um, you know, you got to, when you're running a business, you need to invest into people. It means maybe paying a little bit more and being a little courteous. And, you know, and if there, if somebody's really being a pain in the system, in your system, you don't need to, you don't need to get rid of them in a negative, like in a, in a, in a horrible way. You just, kindly fade them out yeah right and yeah. you know it's it's and it's nothing personal because sometimes when people become a liability to your business it's nothing personal you got to think because you know our job as a proprietor of a business especially now yeah. that i'm taking construction is the yeah. safety of our of our workers and yeah. uh something happened to them it's on us
1: yeah and i think you're right i i, I kind of learned that a lot from from chris our buddy there at canadian shade And I, you know, I think we're both sometimes like, you know, um, similar in the sense that, like, you know, some customers are just like, you know, quote unquote site foreman's, as we call them, and we're doing a job and they're there, they're picking, they're watching our every move. And it's like, you know, customers, I think a lot of customers or even if potential customers are listening, like if you're hiring somebody to do a job, you got to trust them to do that job. If you're sitting there watching their every move, you're going to like, you're, you're not going to create a good environment. Like if you hire a lawyer to work on some paperwork for you, you're not going to go to his office and be like, oh, I want to see, I'm, I'm going to watch you as you type up every word on this report or your accountant, right? It's like, but but people with trades, people want to do that. And I think it's like, listen, if you don't trust the tradesperson, I understand there's bad trades people out there, whatever, but then, you know, the, 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 have a conversation with them beforehand. Say, hey, listen, this is what I'm concerned about because I've been screwed over by another contractor. I'm worried about ABCD. You can address that. But if you're there, we've had customers where they're there outside watching us for the two hours that we're installing. And it's like, that's not the best environment, right? So with Chris, I sometimes I just want to like, you know, you want to rip a customer's head off and you want to kind of tell them off. But I've learned to kind of take a step back and just be calm. And you're absolutely right. Calmer heads prevail. And I think um, when you, when I, when I'm calm, and I just take a moment to kind of digest things, and sometimes my immediate my immediate reaction, whether it's you know my personal life or with business or whatever, is to kind of you want to just like lose it, is to take ten minutes, digest the information, let it out, and then calmly talk to the customer or calmly talk to your partner or whatever it is. Um. It usually it it, it um it's what's the word I'm looking for? It ends up in a better outcome. You know what I mean? And, and Chris kind of uh, taught me a lot of that. And I found out um, uh, business has gotten a lot smoother for me because of that.
0: There's one thing I don't practice enough is um, okay, so I'm I'm hearing impaired. And so sometimes when I really need to focus on a conversation, I'll close my eyes and I'll just focus on my hearing. And yeah. sometimes I find in a hostile situation, that's really for me a good thing to do because um, because you know there's listening and then there's listening, yeah. right? So you know when I find if I'm interacting and I'm angry and I have the visual of another angry there's somebody's face I just don't want to see. Um, when I when I close out the visuals and I focus on the conversation, that's all I'm focusing on. And yeah. so when I'm focusing on the conversation, what I'm looking for is trying to hear what I'm hearing. So like they're saying this, they're saying a sentence. Why are they saying that sentence? And yeah. most of the time, actually, to be honest with you, yes, there are, people, there are people out there, they got issues. They just got issues. And it's a business transaction. So at the end of the day, you know, um, you're, the transaction is, is that they're giving you money and they have a certain expectation. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I find that when, you know, you know, when I like I had, you know, I've had issues and, you know, people don't listen when I say, you know, I've, I've done over a thousand jobs. Right. So when you do over a thousand jobs, you know, like I know Chris has done more, but I'm just saying installation wise, um, Chris, the Canadian shade, their volume, my volume is pretty decent too. But the point is, is that, you start to see patterns. You start to see patterns in people's behavior. You start to see it before it even hits the before shit even hits the ceiling, yeah. right? So sometimes, like I'll go on a job site, and I, I call it the uh, I call it the baby bottle, but basically it's a pacifier.
1: What yeah, there are yeah.
0: certain things that you do to pacify the situation. Like if you're doing a job and you see, you know, that say brick install, and you're installing on brick, and there's uh, holes. On the veneer that you didn't make, but your awning is in line with it, you just fill it in. You just yeah, you don't yeah. you just do it, and because and then the customer will come out, and I'll point to them before they can even because I'm already anticipating all I'm anticipating what they're gonna say, and so I try to get it beforehand, and I call you know that and then you know I just and I'm pretty straight. I said, look, man, I did this for you. I did this, I did it. And they're like, Oh, thank you, thank you. And I'll just stay straight, and uh, I didn't do it for the thanks. I just didn't because I didn't want to hear the crying. Uh-huh. You know it, it. You know, and sometimes I find there also with the way I talk to you. You know, some people will will argue that I don't. Um, I'm not mindful enough in how I interact with the customer, and I find personally I've been doing it long enough. People, I found people. They they want a leader on their site. They want mm-hmm. somebody confident on their site, and you know you don't have to be a dick. But I find that, you know, there are some places when you're interacting with the customer, you need to be real, right? Mm -hmm. The best real you can be, right? Because, you know, a lot of times what happens in in home improvement is you have a salesperson come up and the salesperson, yeah, is actually focusing on the sale. And most of the time, salespeople don't have installation experience. And, you know, they come to a job site, they quote something and, and the customer can feel it the customer can feel they're being jived and they want to speak to the installer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and the reason why they want to speak to the installer is because most of the time the installer doesn't care. They just want to do a good job and they'll say it straight. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and I just find that's good business.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. Is there anything you would say on that note in terms of like customers that you can, cause I think a lot of customers just think about, oh, I, I need this job done, but I, I'm i not thinking about, you know, the installer. Um, what would you say to, the like, any potential customers for you to make the job easier? Like, is there something you would kind of say, like, hey, listen, keep this in mind so that, you know, the job can be smooth? Obviously, one thing we always talk about is, like, you know, some customers get it. Like, they, they kind of, we talk to them about the install, they go inside. Most customers are great, right? But then there's some customers that, like, I've had this, and I know you've had this, where, they get a lawn chair and they sit there for two hours and with a bag of popcorn and they're watching you install, right? And I'll just kind of say to that, I think we both use it. It's like, hey, listen, Mr. Business Customer, I'm sorry. Um, my insurance doesn't cover any damage that, you know, happens. And we only people that are insured are allowed in the work area because it's very dangerous. So we just ask you if you can go inside and then, um, you know, you, you're happy to come back out when the job's done or whatever. So So when you have to say that to people, you do. But Anything else like that you would say to potential customers that kind of help, you know, the job go smoothly?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, um, there's a lot of like, there's actually, truthfully speaking, legalities. One of the, in this course that I'm taking, I'm taking a two-year construction course. It's very intensive. They cover everything. The first (laughs) semester is like, and they, they, they tier it. So you're learning tier by tier, upgrade by upgrade before they, in the first semester, one course is list on safety and it's like okay. everything, safety, everything from understanding, um, I think it's Ontario, the O S S A, something like that. Um, Occupational okay. health safety act, which is a law. Okay. And then you got WSIB and then they they talk, uh, you know, one of the things um, they talk about is job safety assessments. Okay. So before I go in there, you know, You're a customer, I get it. You're a customer, and one of my things, it's all about learning how to get your own feel, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I never argue with the customer. My biggest kryptonite is when they say, I spent a lot of money for this. And, you know, when I hear that, it's like, yeah, you did spend a lot of money for it, you should, but the thing is is that you can't, you can't really do anything if they're insecure. They're, They're gonna, for whatever reason, or, but but when they, I call them property foreman, when they want to do property foreman, I see them a mile away. I put my foot down because in actual fact now, what you're supposed to do when you go to a job is assess the hazards before you mm-hmm. work. And when you're on a job site and the other thing is, is that, you know, being a contractor as I've studied is like pretty serious because yeah. If you think about it, like one of the things I learned is you know, you got a policeman, a fireman, right, and a construction person. What do they mm-hmm. have in common? We're all risking our lives doing hazardous things. Like the fire person's going to the fire, or a police person's putting themselves in harm's way with a violent person. We're, they got, you know, guns and shit that can, uh, you know, we're using t- tools like a circular saw that can cut your limbs off, yeah, right? Yeah. We're 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 on we're on height we're we're doing hazardous work right somebody can get injured right yeah. just like in all the other fields so we actually have to be on our game that's why when we go to a job site it's no different than the other uh, professions i just met they have to be on their game and so do we right and you know the problem is it's that people if their home they don't see it as a job site and that's what you got to mm-hmm. explain to them that's your home but it's mm-hmm. my job site and mm-hmm. So there are many liabilities that I have to consider. So no, you can't sit and watch. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you play it out. Sometimes you get a good feel for a customer sometimes. Yeah. You know, and then, but it's understandable in the sense that, you know, when you're not in trades and you, you see you, you, for us, what, you know, like just to say, you look at a veneer of a house and outside a house. What I now see is two by four framed with, Ply seizing with the skin, um, you know, and then either siding material or brick material, right? Mm-hmm. Materials that have costs that can be fixed, that can be put together. They see a big investment. They mm-hmm. see, you know, you cutting through cut the house, they see thousands of dollars of repair. Well, there is truth to that because, you know, for us, you know, but it's, for us, it still comes down to this is what it costs to, to get the materials. It's just material and labor and technique. Right, so you know you know, like I said, for a lot of people, their home is their biggest investment is their is their place where they live, right, so you know I can understand I can understand it to a degree, but you know you gotta trust it like to me you should if you can't trust your gut, then you shouldn't be working with someone else, right, and yes. in my business- in our business. You know, you know, uh, if you got some guy, some handyman guy, and I hate to put down handyman people, but this is what I think of a handyman. And I know not every handyman, you know, you get a handyman that's a retired construction worker, you get a handyman that, you know, been around trades and just trying to, you know, do something to make some money on the side. Right. Then you get the handyman that are, you know, flat ass broke and trying to hustle people. Right, and you know that's what their fear is, right? Yeah. And, but if you got a handyman and he says, you know, right away, I have a million dollar liability insurance, right there, that tells you he's serious, right? If you got a handyman and he's got an invoice with the title on it, yeah, another thing, right? Yeah. If you got a handyman that's saying, oh no, we could do cash, there's a red flag, yeah, right so you know i talked
1: about this too with, with chris um and other people before too and just for like potential customers out there that are either looking to hire you know any company like compare apples to apples and i think a lot of people unfortunately they compare apples to apples a lot of times when it comes to other products like for example a car but they don't do it when it comes to uh as much as i'm seeing in contracting for example like if you go buy you know, we, we we like our trucks, right? We need trucks for our work. If you see two identical trucks that look look the same, but one truck is listed for twenty thousand, the other trucks listed for five thousand, you're gonna scratch your head and say, Okay, there must be something different here with the engine, there must be some problems with this truck that's cheaper, and you're gonna you're gonna compare apples to apples to make sure you get the best value. But a lot of times I find with contracting, people just say, Okay, what's this bathroom rental cost? and we're quoting it at, for example, 10 to 15,000. And they say, oh, we're going to go with this other company. That's going to do it for, for 6,000. And I say, listen, no problem. Go with who you want. But like, have you compared what they're giving you? Like, oh no. Well, he says he can just get it done. And it's just funny how people don't, it's slowly changing. And like I said, I try to give, when I give detailed quotes for um, like for renovations, for example, I break down everything because then I'm trying to change people's habits of just kind of just going with the lowest price and, and not everybody's like that, right? There's some customers that get it, but I think a lot of people, it's a, it's a slow process where people will just like, you know, see a quote that says bathroom renovation, two lines, and and then the price where mine is like two pages long of what we're doing, what we're not doing. Not only is it just good for the customer for there to compare apples to apples and make sure they're getting equal value, but it's also good for us because it covers our ass, right, to make sure that, hey, you know, the customer thought that we are we were taking care of the mold behind the wall. Well, you know, I, I clearly said in the the invoice uh, or the quote that we're not covering that. And I think that's where a lot of trades people unfortunately get a bad rap. I don't think there's yes, there's definitely some bad tradespeople out there that are looking to take advantage of people. But I think more so what I see is just trades are not great communicators in general. And they assume that the customer knows what's involved, right? They assume that. Okay, if I'm quoting painting, for example, this happened to me one time where I quoted painting for a customer and I went to go look at the job. And there was a, just a musty smell in the house. And it smelled that like it was very old. It was a century home. So I'm like, you know what? There might be mold behind these walls, but I don't know until we start doing it. right? I start touching the walls or whatever. So I clearly said, you know, this is, includes painting. This does not include if we find drywall damage or mold behind the wall. So sure enough, we started painting. And there was one small section that was like a little bit spongy. Right. So I'm like, oh, it's not good. So we opened it up. Sure enough, there was a bit of mold behind there. So and the customer, though, was understanding because we set those expectations from the beginning versus another company that basically is like and this customer told me, like, thank you for um, for for stating that, because I would have thought that that was just included. So a lot of customers just don't know what's involved in a renovation. So co- contractors need to kind of be very clear and break it down for them, you know?
0: Uh- that relationship, the money exchange relationship, it goes two ways, okay. Um, you know, when I used to, when I was used to be a nine to fiver, and when I was looking for work for a, an animation, after a while, I used when I used to go to interviews, I was interviewing them just as much as they were interviewing me. They would come in, you know. I see you start to, like in animation. What happens is, it's an industry. Where it's it's mostly uh, you know it's feast of famine you know if there's if there's a lot like you could you know especially in film and TV there has to be production going on and if there's yeah. production going on there's work if there's no production going on. You're hungry and you're competing for with other people for whatever jobs you can get. Anyway, so you start going to, I used to start going to my uh, job interview and they would like, oh, like, like in that industry feature film. Oh, we got feature film. You could, you work on this and then you can get cash shots for your demo reel. And you're like, you know, when you're young and stupid, you're going, oh, I'm not realizing that that's going to mean Working instead of working forty-hour work weeks, you're going to be doing sixty-hour work weeks, yeah. and you're going to literally be sleeping at your desk. It happens, right? The cash, shot, and cash shots, cash shots—is like, that like uh, money shots,
1: like in porn, like cash shots?
0: Yeah, like a cash <laughs> shot would mean like when you see a trailer and you see that shot in the trailer, and you go, "Oh, that's my shot. That's my cash shot," right? I, I, was you know, trying, like,
1: I was trying to be stupid. I was, you know, how would they in porn? Porn, where they're like, "Oh, that's the money shot in porn." So I'm like, oh, yeah, same thing. Is that your money shot? Okay.
0: Yeah, it's the same thing. So (laughs) anyways, but the point is is that after a while you're like, you know, for me I would I would interview them and I would be checking out I'd be I would be asking them just as much as they'd be asking me how long you where you guys come from because a lot of these companies would come up they would be, you know, they, so what happens in that industry is, is it that just like we bid for jobs, they would bid for, the studios would bid for jobs too. So you could have a new studio that just started up that's, you know, just a couple of guys that decided, Hey, you know, let's form our own studios and they find the channels to, to bid for jobs. And so, so, so what happens in Hollywood is this, uh, they'll create jo- uh, a film and they'll have a budget for effects, say for argument's sake. And then it's a it's a money in some depending on the production. Um, they might say we're going to do this production on a dime. We want to get it the most efficient way done. So they bid out. They'll have like the big studios doing their main shots, and uh, they'll sub they'll subcontract shots, right? Interesting. Other, interesting. Uh, and so what they'll do is they'll subcontract. So now these studios pitch for, they say, Hey, they, they make an announcement and they say, Hey, send us a, a test. And we want to see. And so they get all these people to spend all their resources to do a test on their, on their stuff. And then the, and then they, if they're lucky, they get the bid and then they get the bid. And so they got to, it's on their numbers and their skills. So you could get a studio that, you know, brand new and yes. gets the bid right and so then what happens is is that now they they go hire other people and they do ridiculous deadlines because they have no experience in in that realm and then they shoot themselves in the foot right and then so i'll I'll come along and then i'll be like look at them and then i'll be interviewed because they're like oh we need to get people we need them yesterday we got this big thing from marvel right And, and and then you're not, you know, signed. A, you're not supposed to talk. gonna you know, make you sign a non-disclosure and whatever. You're not supposed to talk about it until it's yeah. out. Anyway, so, but it's a shit show. And then, and then, versus say you go on to another company that's uh, maybe an established media company that's got smaller projects, not very glamorous, but maybe they have projects that you're doing gaming projects online, or maybe you're going to be doing. They have a, an established TV series, and you're just and they're looking for somebody to just do, like, like menial work, like, you know, like, there's, like, people, there's stuff, even with the jobs, like, there'll be, like, say, you could model the main character, you can model the main set, and you could rig, or you can animate, or you say, you know, just give me all the little grunt work jobs, and, the, you know, easy, no, no uh, stress over, it, like, building props and stuff, no major deadline, and, but they pay well, I would go for those jobs all day long. Right, I, it's like once you, you, you once you pass ego, it's just like now when you're looking for a, a contract job, it's the same thing. I'm interviewing them. this as much as they're interviewing me, right? Yeah. So there should be there, and then at the end of the day, what it comes down to is can you do the job, and you need to be able to deliver that answer really quick. And usually, you can answer that you know really quick just by showing them a picture. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. or just mm-hmm. you know and then and it's also if you don't have a picture and you're confident with yourself you should always be able to say you know you can feel the customer because you start th- you do start to get you feel customers and you can see that no 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 this one is just going to be too high maintenance for and sure so, and then you can decide whether it's a high ma- you'll know it's and almost, then you can, it's almost you like can quote dating, them. you right? quote them high
1: it's almost like dating you got to kind of date your customers a bit too and it's like you know we both were at the point i know early on where I was taking whatever business I could, because you got to eat. Right. But then you get to a point, once you're a bit more comfortable, you can kind of be a bit more selective because it's like dating you, the customer's got to like us and we got to like the customer. Otherwise it's, it's, uh, it's not a good thing. It's not going to be a a pleasant process. Right.
0: Sometimes I heard one. um, I heard a buddy of mine from lifestyle home products. And he said, he's been running this business for a while. He says in business, the toughest thing you can say is no as no. Thank you. You need to, you know, I can't help you. No, I'm going to pass. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's that, you know, because, you know, you got to ask yourself too. sometimes you could just be dodging a bullet. You, you'll you know, you'll know. And then sometimes yeah, yeah. and then also when you do engage with a customer. Yeah, you got to you got to this is you mentioned something there about yeah. about how you do your quotes now. One, I as I was mentioning, um, I grew up with tradespeople, and my dad used to be um, an eighteen-wheeler trailer mechanic, and he used to work on the hydraulic beds, um, yeah, yeah. Air, air freights, and I'd hang out with him, and then he would show me how when he invoices, you know, he would, you know, he had the old school, you know, carbon copy one where you write on it and it leave the copy, and he would detail everything. Right. Good. And it's because yeah. he's slapping a big bill. And, uh-huh. you know, when you're slapping a big bill, people need to know what you did. Yeah, Right. Sure. Like if you're slapping a big bill and you're saying, hey, you know, this is costing $2,000. Well, why is it $2,000? All you did was put that up. Well, no, I had to do this. I had to do that. I had to do this. I had to do that. And then that and then put it up. And then after that, after I put it up, I had to do this and I had to do that. Yeah, yeah. So That's where your thousand bucks yeah. come from. And if you it's don't funny- like it, I understand. I understand because I can go do this other job where I have to do less.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how, like, again, what I was talking about before with the dynamic of people when it comes to tradespeople versus, like, professional, um, I don't know if you, not blue collar, but what's the opposite, white collar, I guess, like, lawyers and doctors mm-hmm. and stuff, right? Where the, the mindset difference, if you pay a lawyer, for example, to do work on a prenup, for example, for your marriage or something like that, um, and they charge you an hour's worth of time and it's like 500 bucks, you're like people are kind of like, oh, okay, it's a lawyer, 500 bucks, that's fine. But when it comes to like, I was talking to my cousin about this, who's who's an HVAC, um, and if you go in and you charge somebody, say, to fix their AC unit like 300 bucks and you're there for 10 minutes and you leave, they're like, oh, what the heck, it's only 10 minutes, I I paid 300 bucks. But it's like, yeah, you're paying for the years and years of experience as long as well as the um, the the the, you know, the the experience and the know how Uh, and the professionalism. And I I listened to a podcast one time and I was talking about, okay, would you feel better then if I took twice as long to do this? And people start to think and it's like, I should be rewarded the fact that I can do this quickly and efficiently. If you have another HVAC tech in here that takes four hours to do this, isn't it better I only take 10 minutes and 30 minutes because it's like I'm more experienced. So it's funny, we reward kind of um, efficiency and we reward experience when it comes to white collar work. But when it comes to blue collar work, people almost like they, they don't value it as much. And I think it's it's funny. My cousin would tell me like he would then learn that, OK, if something's like 10 takes 10 minutes to do, he'd sometimes go in the truck, you know, check a couple emails, come back and then take, take a full half hour, an hour. And people would feel better about spending that money as opposed to just he did it in 10 minutes and as, as was in and out. So it's funny, the mindset of people, right?
0: I think I told you this story. The story I learned um, about. The king who had um, uh, an engine that broke, okay, Okay. and the king had an engine that broke, and then he had uh, he put out an announcement to the town that his engine broke, and just like a steam engine of some sort, yeah, yeah. So he could bring it into the courtyard, and uh, he made an announcement, and then he said, "I'll give a million coins for." somebody who can fix my, fix this problem, fix my engine. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, old guy comes out of the, out of the, comes forth. And he says, he's like looking, staring at it, nodding his head. And he goes, okay, I'll do it. And so, so he goes up to the machine. He pulls out one wrench and tightens one bolt and then boom, it works. Uh-huh. Right. And then he goes up to the King. He says, he said, "Pay up, Where's my million coins." And of yeah. course, the, the king is like, "Yeah, but you were only on it for a thing, you know. That's costing me a, a million coins, you know." And yeah. he goes, "He goes, no. I said it actually cost you one coin, but it cost me ninety-nine, whatever, hundred thousand coins for all my mistakes."
1: And you, so, the man hours that went into learning how to do that, right? Yeah,
0: you, yeah. you, you're not, you're paying. You're paying for everything I've learned, so that's the point right yeah that's where you know so in a fact, you only paid a coin you're not but I paid more right so and that's that's how um you know that's how it works you know 100%. So, you know but 100%. also when when people start to you know sometimes you know like I you mentioned with lawyers and stuff, you know. I don't mind paying, you know, a lawyer what a lawyer is supposed to get paid because that's what that's their profession. The same as ours. The bottom line is, is this, you know, I know for fact, you know, now that I'm, you know, my 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 bill can be compared to other people's bills and it can be my bill can be expensive, right? But you know, I look at my bill and I have the advantage of working for different dealers and seeing what they charge.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And I also, it, it comes down to how much are you willing to, for a customer, how much are they willing to invest to solve their problem, Yeah. Right. So you can go with someone else, but you got to ask yourself, you know, like for me, I am that guy that will do a four hour install in one hour. Right. I just, it's like, a, it's a brick, for example, I now yeah. come in with the right crews, you know, and the right fasteners and boom, boom, boom um i'm out right and that's what you're but you're paying for my efficiency yeah you're paying for the fact that i will come to my job site my truck is rigged a certain way it's organized a certain way. the guys i use have a certain i don't have to talk to them i have you know double instead of having you know one impact i have two for each guy instead of using a method of installation that takes longer. I know what installation will work. That takes the fastest. Yeah, you've perfected
1: right? your art. You're perfected, and it's no different than I heard the analogy one time of like, think of like somebody like an artist like, I don't know Leonardo da Vinci versus um, versus a modern say 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 an artist that's just getting started. Um, let's say let's say an artist that's maybe been doing it for maybe six months is pretty good. And let's say he can do, he can paint. Um, it say he can. Let's just say, for for uh, argument's sake, he can paint the Mona Lisa to look exactly like Leonardo da Vinci. But it takes him like, say, I don't know, like two months to do it. But Leonardo da Vinci can do it in like six hours. So should we pay Leonardo da Vinci less just because he can do it in six hours, and the other guy it takes him like six months? Right. So you should be rewarded for your. Your expertise, absolutely.
0: Uh, there's another thing I learned from art school um, with regards to, you said Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, well, I learned in school that, you know, in anything, it takes a while to perfect it, right? Yes. And so they said uh, everybody sees Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, no one sees his bad drawings.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: absolutely. you know, 100%. You, everybody, even a great artist, you know, they stay in animation, classical animation, you know, it takes uh, five to 10 years to master it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to touch on uh, brother, because I think it'll be really interesting for people to hear is about your experience um, with, with animation and, and what your experience was in that world and and, and how and, and why you kind of left because I think you, you've told me before, but I think it's an interesting story. So maybe you can talk a bit about like your how you got into animation your, your experience in that industry and the pros and cons and, and why you decided to leave.
0: Okay. Um, well, as I was saying, when I was in, when I was a kid in my 18s and 20s, I actually was very athletic and I was, I used to work out a lot. I used to train for triathlons and racing triathlons. And, uh, I spent a lot of time alone working out and then you, you get a lot of clarity when you're working out in the country. And, you know, I followed and then I had this instinct to, um, to follow it and to, and then, but, you know, as I was saying, I also had this interest um, in art and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just followed this interest in art simultaneously. And, and uh, so that kind of led me to taking, I went to, a, I applied to a few of the best art schools. One of the best of them was at the time is Ontario College of Art, OCAD. Uh-huh. Um, art and design and I didn't get into there but then I found out oh Sheridan College was having this one-year art foundation so at the time I decided to, to take that and then somewhere along the lines with my training and going to school um, I had to make a decision as to which way I wanted to go because um, I was following my pursuit in 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 uh, what you call triathlon and i love that too i really had a passion for it and uh, so that led me to i would meditate on what i should do and then that kind of gave me um an intuition to go take a job up north so i can train for races the first time i did it i worked at a kids camp had no time to train second time i did it i worked in a resort up in killarney ontario and i stayed there for two summers and best summers of my life And I I really like there were moments when I was up there, I would be like, I took a job uh, on a resort. So that's how I was making money and accommodations and all my spare time was exercising and in nature. And there were times even when I was doing my job cutting the grass, I just felt like so in line with the universe, like this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And so I thought I when I, I used to have the same feeling with computer animation, and I thought at the time I had a big passion for living in California,
1: okay. and
0: I, I realized all of a sudden, oh, I can take I can take animation, and I can end up getting a job there, right? So I started pursuing that, and Sheridan College is like. Canadian animators, I don't know if it's the same, but Canadian animators are like Canadian hockey players around the world. We're recognized as one of the
1: really best. interesting. Oh yeah.
0: Oh, Canadian animators are like top notch. Right. Interesting. And for a while, you know, like Sheridan college was only second, or if not, it was debatable to another cool called um, Cal art, California okay. arts. And they were those two schools at the time were the only schools that were producing animators for Disney and whatnot and um anyway so yeah and then with the advent of technology then other schools opened up but there you know in the in the industry if you say you're from sheridan it's like saying you're you went to harvard right yeah and then but i had a rough time getting through that program and then uh, i ended up going to other schools to get my um certificates and qualifications and then i had to find work and when i was looking for work it was hard at first because the industry was still still like there was I went into animation, computer animation just before it really boomed. There was a time when all of a sudden with the advent of uh, Internet and video games um, and computers, technology got eventually. I used to work on machines that were like literally a couple like, you know, 100 grand and the software was 10 grand. Now that same thing, that computer is like maybe three grand and the software is licensed for, uh, you know, $1,000 a year. Yeah. yeah. It it's changed. Um, but anyways, um, and then I went into the industry and then, you know, you have to find a way. I had to learn the hard way to, to find work. And it wasn't always about your portfolio. You, what would happen is you'd find where the jobs is, leave your portfolio and hope and pray. Yeah. And then I learned how to master getting a job, break the barrier and in two, three weeks. Uh, and that took me a year, to, a year to figure out. I finished schooling and then kept getting more schooling. And then I've had a hard time thinking that, you know, the more software I learned, the better chance I was going to have getting work. And anyways, it took me a while to break into the industry as a young man in my 20s. And then finally, when I did... You know, I'd work my ass off in one job and then get laid off to go to another job. And then, you know, it was always like the job for maybe six months to a year. And then, you know, you're, you're getting more stuff for in your portfolio, Mm -hmm. but then over time you just started getting jaded. So is this kind of, just
1: to interrupt you, is this, would this be kind of freelance or you're working for kind of a studio and you get contracted by the studio?
0: Well, you get contracted. At first I would get contracted by studios and you get like a year contract or two and then up for renewal. But a lot of times, a lot of studios, they come and go. Um, Even Disney came at one point to Toronto. They had a big place in front street and everybody was all excited about Disney and they didn't even last two years. They set up and then they shut down. Right. And anyway, so. When I, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and then um, I was always trying things on the side, always. I just had this interest. I knew, I, and then at one point, I, I was dating uh, a woman who eventually became my daughter's mom, and she was an entrepreneur with the income property and a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And I, I, she kind of started, she was, she, she started making me see things in a different way. And so I tried a little vending business with her while I was working, and then eventually we separated. and I tried a, a, a vending an official vending business. And I learned a lot about business and that, but it wasn't a good business. And then um, I tried to do it full time and um, and I gave up my I was, gave up uh, animation. At that time, I was studying wherever I could. I was always listening to audio, self-help, business stuff. I, I just inhaled my all my free time was always about studying a business and then um, that was about two three years and then eventually the business didn't work out I was really 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 broke and then I fell back to animation and then for a little while like I said then I started doing installs for awnings on the side and then I realized in my journey with awning that I liked it and that I liked just getting up, going to work, doing it, and finishing it, going home, getting paid. And the the aha moment, you know, and then and it's like I said, and I just started realizing that, you know, animation, that's the lifestyle of it. You know, there's You, it's like nothing's perfect. You think you're going to go into a white-collar office, you're going to have an... And don't get me wrong, there were some days I looked forward to going to work. It was exciting. I would get to be very creative. Yeah. You know, I I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to worry about, you know, hurting myself physically on the job. I could literally come to work, have a cup of coffee, find my creative zone. And it it didn't... it, It was very... Sometimes you get into something creative and you have a rough time leaving pulling yourself away from your computer Mm -hmm. um but that's a double-edged sword too because then sometimes you you get too emotionally attached to your work Uh whereas in this business i find i don't like i want to give you the best work but it's just work and there is something there there's a truth in that like work should just be work yeah Uh, and that's where you know that's why i always try to encourage and when i'm meeting other people like uh, that want to consider trades, and I was like, you know, that are like, oh, I need to, you know, I'm getting a trade, I guess, like the like bottom of the barrel, and no, it's not, if you, if you treat it with the right attitude, you know, it could be just as much as an as a a respectable
1: office job, if mm-hmm. you treat it with the right attitude.
0: Yeah, it's changing now,
1: I think a lot of people, um, or maybe, I mean, maybe not. I think that the general sentiment that I get when I talk to a lot of young people is that they're starting to consider that more. Um, I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, brainwashing that takes place with the education system that, oh, if you go to university, you're you're gonna make millions of dollars coming out of school. And if you go to a, a college, you're not. And me having gone through university um, and kind of when you're done, it's kind of like a little bit like they, they kick you out the door and it's like, hey, good luck. And it's like, well, you, you promised me the moon and the stars. You said I'd have like when I started university, they're like, oh, you're going to get lots of jobs and you're done. You have U be very That was like the, the general kind of consensus. But when you're done, it's kind of like they don't really help you. And I had to remember, I was working at Home Depot part time for a good three years to try and find a job in my industry. Finally, I got a job in advertising and then worked in that industry for a bit. But um, I think a lot of people now are realizing, OK, do I go to school for four or five years? Get into fifty to a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, or do I go into a trade where I can actually make money? Um, at, and doing a, maybe a co-op as I'm working, and I finish school with a job and with little to no student debt. So I think people are maybe starting to to realize that.
0: Well, you, you hit on something there. When I was in high school, uh, this was pre like this was just before the computer stuck off. Um, I was actually, we, we had computers, but it was like Commodore, like Commodore computers and big twenties. And, um, anyways, uh, so there was Commodore pet and there was such like the a way it was really, really old school and then internet changed everything. Um, anyway, so, but yeah, they were fading out and I loved shop and then they were fading out shop and they were trying to get everybody, you know, they're prioritizing, taking a typing course because everything's going to be on computers and you know because you know you know before that a man had a choice of a handful of trades that he was going to follow and um you know you hope that you find one now the thing is is that in all honesty everybody should take some kind of trade if they have some kind of interest in some kind of trade and then if they don't like the trade go into something else that's the better way because with trades even if you don't like working in it even if you don't like say you're a mechanic and you don't like working in the field the ability to work on your own car in life is priceless the ability and then you know there's you know you can usually if you're good in one trade to some degrees you can parallel your skin your skill um because it's still there's you know, you still need to know how to be comfortable with tools. You still need to understand fasteners. You still, you know, but yeah, I, trades. You know, it's just a mentality that you know. Just because, you know, I'm I'm in school and there's in this college and I'm looking at some of these guys. There's a, there's a handful of them. They're 18, 18, and they got their head on straight. They got, you know, they come. One guy in particular, um, a friend of mine. Uh, he's 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 italian too and he comes and is listening to his stories it's amazing cuz that's, that's one 18. italian too
1: many buddy you can't have too many italian friends you know us italians no, he, are fucking dicks
0: he, he's he's 18 <laughs> and he's telling me about he's telling me about how his uncles he's got his one dad who learned to become a mechanic on his own he's got you know he's saying that he goes work with his other uncles in construction and they'll give him projects to do they'll say okay here you're going to go we're, we're you're gonna we're gonna give you a project. You're gonna you're going to, um, you know, lay out the, uh, build the foundation walls for the for the slab, the concrete slab, and they let him do it and they moderate. And then, you know, he's 18 and he's been doing this stuff. And now he comes to school and he's like, you can see he's just ready to learn and he's very professional and you know. Right. There's, and there's a few of them, right? And that type of mentality. By the time he gets to 40 you know, he's going to be a master mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and it's just kind of like, he'll never be, and he'll never be broke. And, you know, the one thing I like about carpentry, um, from my industry, you know, it's like, dude, I've got master carpenters in my family. They don't have websites and all that stuff. They're just yeah. that good. And they they're always getting work. Yeah. It's like, my buddy up to it's him. like
1: my buddy Ron, a lot of like, even, not even necessarily trades like in, in, um, I have a a family friend that's a lawyer. Um, my buddy, Ron, who I do a lot of my jobs with, um, he, um, yeah, doesn't have a website. He just gets all word from word of mouth and that's like, that's kind of the dream, right? Um, so yeah, a lot of people just, just get word of mouth. Don't even have a website.
0: Yeah. You know, websites have their place. And, but the only thing I, I have my own little thing is, um, you know google reviews you know i kind of find that um, to be honest with you you got to be aware like don't get me wrong i think yeah if i had a business i'd want to have you know as many five star reviews as possible yeah. but i don't think i i don't think you should have a business that doesn't rely on, on stars because even yeah even the star, you know, buyer beware, because I've gone with businesses that are five star rating and I didn't get five star. Yeah. right. Yeah. So well, I had a
1: customer recently that reached out and um, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it's a very big company that does lots of advertising. They do commercials. They're like partnered with uh, one of the big contractor guys on uh, on TV. And people people know this company, but um, he paid the most for them and they, they absolutely botched the job because a lot of times what happens with these big companies, too, is that they just they do the marketing and then they subcontract to smaller companies. So a lot of times, like I, I'm finding with customers, if, if I'm even hiring people or uh, you know I tell customers, don't go with the smallest guy there is that, that that doesn't have no insurance or nothing. But you also don't have to go with the biggest, most expensive company. Go with kind of a middle grade company because those people are usually going to give you the the best bang for your buck. Um, and a lot of big companies, like when I used to work for that, you know, that filter company, I won't say their name either, and I had a terrible experience. Um, that's all they were doing. They 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 had like thirty offices all throughout North America. They were a big company making millions of dollars. But they had no installer employees, they subcontracted all their installs to separate installers. And then it was a bad system because um, they weren't paying the installers very much. And so the turnover was very quick. So after a couple months, they get new installers. It was just a disaster. So, yeah, a lot of times these big companies are absolutely right. You don't necessarily get the the value.
0: There you go. Yeah. So
1: I won't keep you much longer, buddy, because I know you gotta get going in a bit. But one thing I wanted to, to hear a bit about—we talked a bit um, at the beginning of the combo—and I think it's super interesting—is about um, like your background, like 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 being South African, kind of um, you know uh, your experience with apartheid and all that. Stuff. I know I think you were born here, but your dad was born over there, right? So I'd be curious to learn a bit more about, I guess, some stories you've heard from your dad and why he decided to to leave and come here versus go to the states, because I think that's you don't meet many South Africans here so it's kind of cool to hear a bit about that that history.
0: Well South Africans are um very dysfunctional. Um and Just I say like that because, No, no, no because apartheid the mentality of apartheid, apartheid fucked up many people. Um And explain, it, sorry,
1: I think a lot of people even like you know, they don't really know what apartheid I, is. So can you explain that yeah, what apartheid so, is? Yeah, so
0: Apartheid is a system that was voted in, um, I believe, in the 50s. It was actually, and so, and I don't know, I can only tell you what I can see. It was a system that was voted in um, to basically keep things, you know, the white man in power. That's really what it was, right? And, you know, these are European white men. Now, to my understanding, so there are, there was a Dutch and the German buras that that immigrated from, they were, I, I'm not sure if they immigrated or they were kicked out after the war or something and then they went, they ended up in South Africa now South Africa has a lot of resources and you know they're big in gold and mining and stuff anyways, so they came there and they introduced the apartheid which kind of created a bit of a standard Okay. there's negative, the the standard and the way it is it's a ranking system by your appearance which is kind of you know not too far off when you think about germany and how they were trying to create a superior race yeah okay so what it this is a it's a system a ranking system based on your looks in the sense that the it doesn't matter what where your family's like you could have a family tree that's different but it the lighter skin you are, uh, the lighter eyes you have, the straighter hair you have, the more you're on top of the food chain. And then, and then as we go down, so say you're say you're light and you have brown eyes, okay? Then you're a little less. Say you're you're white and have curly hair, then you're a little less. Say you're say you're say you have straight hair, brown eyes, but your skin is really brown, then you're a little less, right? Oh, yeah. So. And then say, you know, the, you go all the way down to a brother who has curly hair, dark eyes, you know, they're, they're pretty much working and I'm not kidding you. They were considered apes. Wow. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, so, um, what's happened is, is that you have people that were born and raised in that and lived the system. It was, uh, apartheid was inevitably, inevitably going to fail as the rest of the world progressed. And then, you know, and then Nelson Mandela and and um, desmond tutu come into play um but anyway so what happens is is that you know if you have already a dysfunctional family right then you have on top yet yeah, and then you have the layer of of the fact that you know your mom like my mom um my mom my mom came from a family of nine and so if my grandmother my grandmother was considered white right but then my grandfather was a little on the darker side on my mom's side and wow. on my dad's side is another whole another story um but anyway so my grandmother during apartheid if she had her, you know you got to imagine nine kids right and then so, so now one of them's sick and you have to go to the hospital so they would all go my grandmother would have a handful of them and she's taking the one that needs to go to the hospital and also taking the other ones with them
1: okay. right
0: so they would have they would go to the bus. Now imagine sitting for the bus. Now imagine the bus pulls up and now you got maybe four kids. And so now you're going on board with two of your kids and then you have to say to the one, maybe the one younger one that say, No, 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 you gotta wait for the bus that's coming behind us because wow. this is only white's only bus. Right? They didn't have sit in the back like in the state. They had the yeah. white only bus. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. even if it's your own kid, I don't know about you, but I'm considered i i I would probably be considered white if I go on the bus and I don't care if it's my blood or not, yeah, and I got a little kid, and that little kid is darker than me, and you know and and the bus driver's telling me that kid can't come on the bus because he's
1: dark, I'd lose my shit, yeah,
0: and this was right? in
1: like was this in like the sixties or seventies when when was this? yeah, this
0: was in the sixties and seventies, oh wow, right. So not that so, long right up right up to apartheid apartheid only got uh, abolished there I think in the late 80s right or late 80s uh, uh, or maybe early 90s that's when they're actually so so you have this culture that's raised in this okay and so and I just noticed so yes yeah, some of them come here but they're angry they're angry just no different than you see you know the American black they're angry at you know, being treated the way they were in slavery well yeah. you know this is different in the sense that in some ways it's different because it's not like they're doing this uh, apartheid in a black majority in a not like the whites were a minority and they were still doing this shit yeah. right so it was an it was inevitable but it's gonna take they got this it's a beautiful country it's like and the people like visually, they're like, they're like uh, Brazilians, man. They're beautiful. Right. And it's a mixed race there, but, and then, you know, and then, you know, also when, you know, it's a mixed race, but the difference between Brazil and there, when you get a beautiful black African woman, oh my God, it's like that's from the motherland. Right. Uh And then, but they take that and they come here and they migrate to Canada and, you know, back in the seventies, you know, it wasn't like it is now. Now it's more and more of the whites here are becoming a minority. and But back then when they came here, they had to deal with a lot of racism. And, uh, you know, you you hear about it and then you see it. And then, you know, sometimes people don't understand my background and then they they, they think I'm white. And then they, and that's the other thing today. You know, in today's world, just because somebody looks white, you don't know what their family is. For sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, people act a certain way and they... they, they they're usually dicks and condescending and, you know, and it's just, I just noticed a lot of South Africans, you know, like now the, the language, this is what I was told from my cousin, the language then was uh, Afrikaans, Right. And, and that's a white man's language. And now I'm told now people, they people, the the younger generations don't want to speak it. They, they, Interesting. They, Cause it,
1: because it reminds people a lot of apartheid. Is that why?
0: Yes. Yes, it reminds it's a white man's language. They don't want to speak it. So what, what right? is it now that so, they
1: speak? Like, obviously, it's English, but is it called something different? If it's not Afrikaans, is it just... Yeah, it's Afrikaans, Afrikaans, Afrikaans. which is
0: basically... It's Afrikaans, it's really more of a, It's a mixture of Dutch and German, mostly,
1: Interesting. right? Interesting.
0: And most people who are South African who speak Afrikaans can understand Dutch and uh, German. And for most people who don't know the South African accent... States, they don't understand they try to coin it with australian and and then they usually australian and south african are way different i can um, tell the
1: difference but i at some people i have to listen for like a good 30 seconds but there's certain words um that i can i can tell like there was somebody recently i met and i'm like i think they're south african and, and i personally love guessing people's culture i think people kind of like it when you when you know they're a little bit about their culture right so um, I, I sense his accent I go can I guess where you're from? He goes yeah I go are you South Africa. He goes yeah absolutely and we're talking I go my buddy Jacques's from South Africa so it's it's I notice the difference in the accent yeah
0: no so no the, the, if there's one language that is really similar, one accent that's really similar is Dutch. The Dutch and the South Africans have a, their accents are extremely it's, it's, it's really close okay so, but that's yeah so that's that's, that's cool man. The, so, why, yeah, what, so what was your
1: experience from your dad? Like, I guess, like, because you must have heard tons of stories from, from him. Um, and why did he decide to come to Canada versus, like, go to the U.S., for example?
0: Um, I, to my understanding, my dad's my uncle was already here. Um, okay. So they were sponsored through my, and then my mom, then my dad and my mom sponsored my mom's family to come here. So back then, what they did was, you know, you know, to get the population Um, there was a representative, an ambassador that would go to different countries, including South Africa, and they would solicit people to come into Canada. Right. So they would solicit for a better life, better jobs. Like they could, they were looking for skilled laborers and skilled people to come to Canada. Right. Uh And to build a population. So that's how it really started because, uh, I don't know, we don't have the, the, um, the same as the states, and their popularity grew. Basically, they had a good base, all right? So it's cool, man. But it's one thing I learned. So the majority, basically, the sum of it is most. If they're non-white South African, more than likely they they've got family that's been through apartheid. Now, yeah, and nothing against the white South Africans. They're not all horrible people, but sometimes you got to keep your eye up a little bit for Uh some white South Africans because don't get me wrong. I met doctors that traveled the world and, uh, they're white South African and they're down to earth people. But then there, I met people. I would talk to one time when I was, uh, I was, I talked to a receptionist that worked at FedEx and she was an old South African woman. And I, I got into a conversation. She thought I was white, and she was just going on about how the country's gone to shit and, oh, that, wow, that, 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 and how the blacks messed it up and blah 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 blah. You know, just bitter. Be
1: be careful so, what you say because you know you never know who you're talking to. Well, the thing is, is that we're
0: in Canada. We don't need to tolerate your bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's, what, why,
1: that's why I love honestly, man. Canada I think is is one of the best countries in the world. Um kind of why I started this podcast too. Like I love talking to, to people from different cultures and learning about people's story because, you know, like I said, I was very lucky that I was born here. And the older I get, the more proud I am to be Canadian. Um because I I know like how hard it is to um to come here and start your life over. Like I think I think it's silly when people are like, Oh, don't no more immigrants, don't let the immigrants in. it's like listen, immigrant I was talking to my buddy Martin uh yesterday on the podcast too. He's from Mexico and i'm going to post that episode as well and hearing his story and in my opinion dude this country was built on immigrants like the the us too and um you know they they come here they work hard um they put their head down like my grandfather like a lot of other grandparents and and parents that moved here um drove a taxi cab for 30 years and hustled and just so my parents could have a little bit easier and then my parents were born here then so i could have it a little bit easier because it's it's tough, man. So I have the utmost respect for anybody that's going to pick up, start their life over and, um, uh, for, for their family. In my opinion, like a lot of the people that are, that, that, um, that come here are, are, are my experience, mostly very hardworking. There you go. Yeah. So anyways, brother, I'll let you go. I know you got to get going, but thank you very much, man, for, for being a no part problem. of it. I definitely want to get you, uh, on again another time because I think we both, uh, we both uh, are good conversationalists and we always have, uh, you know, easy time talking to each other. So, uh, so I really appreciate it. Cool, cool. Yeah. So for everybody too, I'm going to post your business links in the show notes, but um, tell people like your social media and your business name. So if people are looking for awnings or any business that, that we can send it your way.
0: Sure. My uh, awning installation company is called, which is turning into a more of a construction company. It's installers of coolness, uh, dot com um my um, my corporations and unafraid designs um but yeah i'm going to, right now it's uh, installers of coolness is my main key to business um, but i will be i'm planning on uh, the branding is going to be changed to ioc construction um still same website and i'm planning on uh, venturing out more into doing uh, certain types of uh, construction i'm hopefully going to become more of an investor and do uh, custom builds.
1: Good man. And what's your uh, your TikTok? You said you have a TikTok, right?
0: Yeah, I have a TikTok. I believe it's TikTok. I think it's Backslash um, Unafraid Designs.
1: Awesome. Yeah, s- send me that, and I'll put it in the uh, the show notes for everybody. So. Um, okay. Cool. Cool. That's awesome, man. But yeah, dude. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, please, uh, if you can, share this with with whoever you know. We're trying to grow. Uh, please subscribe. which uh, is a small little podcast trying to kind of spread awareness of uh canadian content and and uh grow a little bit so thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll uh yeah we'll catch you next week cool cool okay man take
0: care take care ciao bye. bye